kids, you're now dismissed to go back to the kids' wing. I'm kidding. Don't leave your parents. This is a family-style service. That would be really bad. We do that sometimes around here, but not tonight. I'll try to keep your attention. If I do a poor job, there are coloring sheets. Um, that's for kids and adults. Um, Merry Christmas, by the way. Uh, if we haven't met, my name's Jamie. Uh, I'm the pastor elder who gets the privilege most Sundays of unpacking God's word for God's people as we gather uh, in this very place. Thanks for bringing the church into this building, by the way, and onto this live stream if you're joining us via the digital platform. I'm incredibly excited that you're here. Um, whether this is home, you're visiting from elsewhere, uh, if you live in the area and you don't have a church home, my hope is that your experience as you gather with us is one of both truth and grace and that you're compelled to come back as we start off the new year and see what God might do in your life uh, as you come and spend time with at least one expression of the bride of Christ locally. I'm going to go ahead and invite you to open up your Bible if you have one. Uh, and we're going to do it a little differently this evening uh, to a few different places. Genesis chapter 3, Isaiah chapter 9, Luke chapter 2. We're going to move through the scriptures and we're going to spend a little bit of time in each of those places. You're welcome to bookmark each of those three or just kind of be prepared to move from one to the next. If you don't have a Bible, uh, this evening's passages will be up on the screen behind me. So have no fear. Let me go ahead and pray for us so that we can look at the story of Christmas in what I believe to be a little bit of a unique way that hopefully awakens our hearts to the wonder of what we're meant to experience this time of year. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, praise you for decreeing before the foundations of the world that you would send your son into the slums of this broken world to rescue lost sinners to yourself Jesus, we praise you for stooping into this darkened, broken neighborhood of ours, for living the perfect sinless life that we could never live, for dying the sinner's death that we deserve to die, for rising from the grave three days later, triumphant over Satan's sin and death, that we might come together, as James said, 2,000 years later and continue to celebrate a story that's true. It's the truest of fairy tales, and it's not over yet. So I pray that you would awaken our hearts this morning to a story that is all too familiar to many of us and therefore the danger of walking away without a feeling sense of what you mean for us to experience, not just this time of year, but every time of year, but especially this time of year. And so Holy Spirit, we not only invite you, but we beg you to move in our midst as we sit with the scriptures in hand. Would you awaken our minds to that which you would have us to consider? Would you awaken our hearts to that which you would have us feel? And would you change us as a result of our time this evening such that we might walk out of here transformed for your glory, celebrating, filled with joy as we consider the great story of Christmas yet again. It's in the name of our risen Savior and King, Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. So Advent as we've talked about for weeks now as a church, is meant to focus our attention on what it means to live in the time in between as we celebrate the inauguration of God's kingdom and the first coming of Jesus born amidst the feeding troughs of Bethlehem while also looking forward to, to the great day when Jesus shall return, heaven's king, to fully and finally fulfill our every longing in the consummation of his eternal kingdom. 
Another way that we could say it, Advent is the season to joyfully unwrap the the gifts of Christmas past in celebration of the first coming of Christ. And at the same time, it's a season to longingly consider the gifts of Christmas future in anticipation of the second coming of Christ. For the better part of the last few weeks, we've lived in that tension as we've explored a number of longings that fill the hearts of those made in the image of God. The longing for justice, the hunger for relationships, the quest for spirituality, and the delight in beauty. All of which should fill our hearts with yearning as we look for the hope of Jesus' return. And we will, in fact, do that very thing as we come together on the other side of Christmas. But... As we gather together this Christmas Eve, I'd like to take all of those gifts of Christmas past that we've considered these last few weeks and bring them before us in collective fashion like a a pile of presents under the tree that we might leave this place in joyful celebration and gratitude for the many ways that Christ has met our longings in his first coming. And I like to do that uh, by bringing before us two of the, the great word pictures with which the scriptures describe the coming of the Messiah. If you haven't been around our church for the last few weeks, uh, I trust that, that you'll just open all these gifts at once and it'll be glorious. The first of those word pictures that I want us to look at is the earliest of promises that God made to redeem his people. Most of us in our minds, we, we picture the story of Advent as beginning in a stable, but it's actually a story that in terms of man's receiving of the promise begins in a garden. Very famous passage of scripture, many of you know it. Genesis chapter three, verses 14 and 15. And the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is the the famous declaration that God made to Satan in response to sin's entrance into the world. The first announcement of the gospel, the good news. God's promise, verse 14, to humiliate the serpent Satan, the, the one who deceived our first parents in the garden so very long ago, declaring that the evil one will lick the dust of the earth, which is God's way of saying you will be brought down low. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, God says declaring Satan to be the villain in this divine, redemptive, historical drama, the fire-breathing dragon who man is not to trust, but rather to treat as an adversary. And yet, verse 15 doesn't just declare the villain, but also the hero, God's promise of a coming rescuer. Notice that the ultimate battle is not between the offspring of the woman and the offspring of the serpent, but rather between the offspring of the woman and the serpent himself. He, one of Eve's descendants, shall bruise your head, Satan. There's a hero coming, a descendant of Eve who will ultimately crush Satan's head. Yet it won't come without the bruising of the hero himself. Sound familiar? Genesis 3.15, it's the declaration that Jesus would take on a bruisable body. Where do we first see that bruisable body in scripture? Answer, wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. That's the first word picture I want to bring before us this evening, that of a, of a serpent-crushing, dragon-slaying rescuer. The second of the two word pictures is found in one of the more familiar Christmas passages of the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 9, which begins with these words, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun. 
the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness, they've seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Isaiah 9 opens not with the imagery of of dragons and dragon slayers, but rather with a picture of Israel enshrouded in darkness, suffering under the mighty hand of God's judgment in light of her covenant unfaithfulness. A darkness leaving her in the gloom of anguish, this passage tells us, as the Assyrian Empire threatens to overcome her. But notice that God promises not to leave his people there, declaring that darkness will not have the final word, that the gloom of anguish will not have the final word, that a light will shine into the darkness, that where there was once sorrow, that there will be now glad-hearted joy. Isaiah goes on to say in verse four, for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Here Isaiah declares that that God's gonna do something that's a lot like what happened in Gideon's day. God's gonna show himself victorious in apparent defeat, strong in weakness, How is God gonna bring about this great work of salvation? Isaiah goes on to tell us, for to us, child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is one of the many prophecies of the Old Testament that points to the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. The birth of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Described here not as a a slayer of dragons, but rather as light shining into the darkness, the hope of joy in the gloom of anguish. As we talked about throughout this Advent season, the, the world in which we live, it's full of echoes, reminders of the way God intended things to be. And hearing those echoes, we're we're reminded that that what we really long for is God Himself, something more than the reflection. As we've considered these past few weeks, we long for justice in the world, that longing and echo of God's voice. We long for justice because God is just. He's the only one who can fully and finally make things right. We hunger for relationships made in the likeness of a relational God of intra-Trinitarian love, created to know and be known by the one whose image we bear and by others who bear that very same image with us. We quest for spirituality, searching for life and meaning and purpose, grasping for satisfaction in this life and in this world, all the while sensing that there there must be something more because the truth of the matter is that there is something more. We delight in beauty, gazing upon the beauty of God for the glory of God. It's what we were made for. It's with those 
longings in mind that I invite you to look under the tree this evening at the, the glorious gifts of Christmas past in consideration of all that we've explored this Advent season with that imagery of Genesis chapter three and Isaiah chapter nine in mind. Christ Jesus, the great slayer of dragons, the darkness dispelling light of the world, the hope of joy in the gloom of anguish. That as it pertains to the longing for justice, to use that Genesis three imagery, we know that Satan loves injustice and corruption. He's committed to warring against justice and righteousness in the land. Happy with Isaiah chapter nine, a darkened world of gloom and anguish, a world filled with corrupt political and religious leaders, a world in which the very places where people should feel safest are not always safe. As it pertains to the hunger for relationships, we know that the the evil one is happy to see God's image bearers, uh, now God's enemies. Perfect harmony between man and God ruined by sin. Surely he's happy to see the fracturing of relationships between people as well. A darkened world of gloom and anguish, Isaiah 9, filled with estranged spouses, quarreling family members, warring nations. A world filled with dividing walls of hostility, relationships unreconciled. As it pertains to the quest for spirituality, surely the ruler of this world is happy to see people groping in the darkness, grasping for meaning and purpose in the things of this world. A darkened world of gloom and anguish filled with people always and forever clinging to the echoes instead of the voice, grasping at lesser things, never quite grabbing hold of that which we were made for. As it pertains to the delight in beauty, surely the Prince of the power of the air is happy with a world filled with the ugliness of sin and is committed to warring against our soul's longing for a true sense of beauty, a darkened world of gloom and anguish filled with people failing to believe that truest and deepest beauty is found in the Lord himself, the triune God of beauty. Believing not that that this God of beauty must break into our story, but rather that Our internal beauty must break out if the ugliness of this world is to be overcome. The crafty serpent, Genesis 3, loves the deep darkness, Isaiah 9, the gloom of anguish. Imagine the anticipation and longing that God's people must have experienced all those years as they awaited the coming of the Messiah, left in the the gloom and darkness of sin's curse under the yoke of oppression. Someday, a serpent-crushing hero will come. Someday, a light will shine into our deep darkness. Someday, God's promised joy will meet us in the gloom of our anguish. If you flip over to Luke chapter 2, you know this story. Picking up in verse 8. And in that same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Shepherds just minding their own business, 
keeping watch over their flock by night in the very fields where animals were groomed for temple sacrifices in Jerusalem. Surrounded by hundreds of lambs that would eventually be led to the slaughter, when out of the darkness the light of God's glory burst forth, an angel of the Lord appearing. And what does the angel say? Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Unto you is born this day. The story of Christmas, it's the story of someday becoming this day. How incredible, how wondrous it must have been to look down on that tiny baby resting in a feeding trough and to know that the promised dragon slayer had finally arrived. That the light of the world had entered into the deep darkness, Isaiah 9. Good news of great joy for those overcome by the gloom of anguish. As it pertains to the longing for justice, coming back to those echoes of a voice, unto you is born this day the Lord our righteousness, having come to inaugurate his good kingdom of truth and meekness and justice, one who would bring about so great a work of redemption that it would overshadow even the great liberation story of the Exodus. The Lord delivering his people from the domain of darkness, rescuing them into the kingdom of his beloved serpent-crushing son. As it pertains to the hunger for relationships, unto you is born this day the prince of peace, God's light of reconcilement shining on lost sinners, redeeming us into a forever family as eternally bonded brothers and sisters in Christ who've been given the serpent-crushing ministry of reconciliation. How cool is that? As it pertains to the quest for spirituality, unto you is born this day, God revealed, God made known, no need to grasp and grope in the darkness anymore to a world searching and grasping for meaning in all the wrong places. Jesus Christ, having come to, think about this, deliver the death blow to the one whose mission is to blind the minds of unbelievers, 2 Corinthians 4. Jesus Christ, shining in the hearts of lost sinners to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, that we might know the joy of that something more that you and I were made for, as we look to Jesus for true meaning, true happiness, as it pertains to the delight in beauty, unto you is born this day the beauty of God, breaking into the ugliness of our story, the ugliness of our world. Emmanuel, God with us, having come not only to show us the way of beauty, but to make us beautiful through his redeeming work. T.F. Torrance in his Work on the incarnation, he says, the birth of Jesus, it was a real advent, an act of God's grace, a coming into man. And as such, it carries with it a disqualification of human capabilities and powers as rendering possible an approach of man to God. The virgin birth is the doctrine, he says, that the movement of the Son of God to become man is one directional. From God to man, it cannot be reversed. I say it every year this time of year, that God came to us as an unwavering declaration that we could never get to him, that we could never, to use that Genesis 3 language, slay those dragons ourselves. 
that we could never, to use that Isaiah 9 language, dispel our own darkness, that we could never overcome the gloom of our own anguish. Christmas is it's meant to overwhelm us with the condescension of the eternal God, a God who would stoop down in order to raise us up out of our hopeless state. Salvation, it's of the Lord. Christ Jesus, the great slayer of dragons. The darkness dispelling light of the world. The hope of joy in the gloom of anguish. The fulfillment of Genesis 3. The fulfillment of Isaiah 9. But if you're not a Christian, know, hear me this evening. If you don't hear anything else, know that God is pleased to pardon the iniquity of rebellious sinners, counting them righteous in his sight, but not on the basis of human merit, not on the basis of moral fiber, not on the basis of intrinsic lovability. This story, it's not a rescue mission about impressing some divine elf on the shelf. There are no naughty and nice lists. There are naughty lists, and then Jesus who came to save naughty people like you and me. That's the real story of Christmas. The truth of Christmas. Jesus was born to die. The hope of ruined, sinful humanity. The story of a cradle that was always meant to lead to a cross. That lost sinners like you and me might be saved by God's grace. Christmas, it's an indictment before it's a joy. It's a declaration that we, like sheep, have all gone astray, Isaiah 53. But there's good news for a, a world of lost sinners. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Yes, we're far more sinful than we ever imagined, but we're also far more loved than we ever dared dream. That Jesus came not to condemn the world, but to seek and save the lost. That if you're not a Christian, I invite you, I implore you even to repent of your sins and to turn to Jesus and trust in him for salvation. Receive the greatest Christmas gift the world has ever known. Christ your savior, Christ your king, Christ your treasure. And if you are a Christian, the next time we gather together, we're going to look to the future return of Christ with great longing. But I, I, I want to give us permission this evening to let go of the tension just a bit of, of the both and of Jesus' first coming and his second coming and, and just encourage you this evening as it's Christmas Eve to behold the pile of presents under the tree, the glorious gifts of Christmas past, the story of someday becoming this day, it's the story of Christmas. I invite you to join me in worshiping with grateful hearts Christ Jesus. He is the great slayer of dragons. He is the darkness dispelling light of the world. He is the hope of joy in the gloom of anguish. He is the great fulfillment of those Old Testament passages. And he has come. And as James said, we celebrate the this day of Luke chapter 2, 2,000 years later. Christianity, it's not going anywhere. In a moment, we get a chance to, to worship our Savior and King in a couple of ways as we do every time we gather in this place. One, through our collective song. I just encourage you to, to celebrate. As we talked about last Sunday, C.S. Lewis says, Joy is not complete until it's expressed. 
And so I pray that you experience the fullness of joy this Christmas by expressing the praise that's due God's name as we sing together. We'll also worship through the receiving of communion, the Lord's Supper. If you're a Christian, that meal is for you. There are cups on the back table if you missed it on your way in. Between now and in the end of our service this evening, you're welcome to receive of, of those elements whenever you're prepared to do so. We take the bread representing the broken body of Jesus and dip it in the cup representing his shed blood. As you prepare to receive of those elements, I just, I just invite you again to sit with the imagery of, of a cradle leading to a cross, leading to a crown.